Oh. So, now I have to change gears right away, which is always rough after that. <coughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a hard week. But you know what? I, I think back, in a lot of ways it has to do a lot with what I'm talking about today. I think back to the, um, the time when I first became a Christian. Uh, you see, I became a Christian. I, I wasn't necessarily raised in a, in a super Christian home. My parents, um, uh, they, they were raised in a Catholic home. And when I was born, uh, they were, I would say we were kind of like keisters. We went to church for Christmas and Easter. <laughs> keisters. Um, and I actually came to faith in my teenage years, um, about 14, 15, 16 is when I really started to realize who God was. And see, as a teenager, I was specifically like behind like the, the weird hobbies and the, you know, obsession with video games and all that stuff that a teenage guy has. I was also really into the music scene, <laughs> really into the music scene. See, in our area of, uh, of the northern suburbs of Chicago, a lot of bands actually uh, came from, from my neighborhood. Um, this is totally going to date me, but bands like Super Chick and Chevelle are from like my backyard. And so I got to meet some cool guys growing up and see some cool shows. And so it was kind of part of my teenage years and really part of forming who I was about this kind of music scene going on in the suburbs of Chicago. And so like if you look at me back in the day, you might not recognize me. I had like multicolored hair. I've had everything from Liberty Spikes to Mohawks. At one point I had neon green hair that went straight up. Um, I had uh, pink hair that literally was like this high at one point. Um, I had the wallet chains. I drove the hand-me-down car with the bumper stickers all over the back of all the bands that I'd seen live. Um, it was about 100 pounds ago, so give me a break. <laughs> um, but much of my early faith and my early worldview was really informed by this, this uh, culture. And my early faith in, and... and, and and, and uh, kind of who I was hanging out with informed my music tastes as well. And two particular songs around that time frame from two very different bands, both of which are bands made up of Jesus followers, um, they've stuck with me through the years. And they really illustrate this tension that I was struggling with in my teenage years, and I still struggle with today, this tension of what it means to live on mission for Jesus. So I got two, two, two bands to highlight for you here real quick. Uh, the first one, this was my favorite band as a teenager. It was a band called Five Iron Frenzy. I'm sure no one in here knows who Five Iron Frenzy is. If you are, ooh, you're, hey, you're my friend now. I loved Five Iron Frenzy. I saw them all the time. They're like a, just a fun punk ska band. Um, they're great. And they had this song called All That Is Good. And this song's all about how Christians are often judged from the outside and generalized as being better than everyone. And so the lyrics for the first verse of this song went, where does the misunderstanding come from? Demanding that we be outstanding and then some. Perfection never was a requirement, although some might say we desired it. See, I hear these lyrics, and I heard them in the day, and I'm reminded that I am not perfect that I am constantly growing and deepening in my understanding. And as a result, I should never claim to have a monopoly on the answers and accept the fact that I am, in fact, a work in progress and grant myself the grace that I need when I don't measure up to the ideals that I set myself. So that was one of those songs that stuck for my worldview. The other one, and I'm sure you guys have heard this one, it's What If I Stumble by DC Talk. What If I Stumble is all about the responsibility that we as Christians feel 
when living out our faith, knowing that we're being watched and that our actions have repercussions. The first verse opens with, is this one for the people or is this one for the Lord? Or do I simply serenade for the things I must afford? You can jumble them together. My conflict still remains. Holiness is calling in the midst of courting fame. And that song, if you listen to the track on the CD, it actually starts with a, uh, a quote from uh, author and minister Brennan Manning uh, that, oh my gosh, uh, like I guarantee every pastor in the world knows this and most Christians know this quote, but it's super important, especially in our day and age. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So when I listen to this song, I get a very different message than I get from when I listen to All That Is Good. When I listen to What If I Stumble, this message is that as a Christian, I have an intense responsibility to live out my righteousness so that it's on display because I am a representative of Christ to the rest of the world. Failure to live on mission can actually hurt someone else's faith. So both of these songs come from amazing artists that are absolutely Jesus followers. And I would recommend Five Iron Frenzy and DC Talk to anybody. Go check them out if you're willing to listen to songs that are, holy cow, 30 years old now. I am old. (laughs) But no, both of these songs are awesome. But together they show you some of the tension that I had going through my brain as a teenager. And I still have that tension today. I still have that tension today. From my first moments of trying to figure out who Jesus was, I've always lived in this tension between being authentic, being real, being down to earth, warts and all, and then having the responsibility to be an example for others. Because after all, if I'm authentic about my failing, failings and the messier parts of my life, won't that hurt my witness? And if I'm worried about always displaying a pristine and perfect righteous image, wouldn't that be dishonest and hypocritical? So how do we navigate this tension between righteousness and authenticity? How do we be a people of God that is being authentically real about our faith in Jesus and what he means to us while also living righteous lives that have the effect that God wants us to have? So we've been spending some time in this series that we're calling Jesus Said. We're looking at the chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew, which actually lay out the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon given by Jesus himself. Okay, this is God giving a sermon to his people. And we're going to be spending a total of six weeks in in these verses, kind of looking at what Jesus said. And he covers a lot of stuff. We're dancing all throughout this section over these six weeks. Last week... We talked about the nature of blessing when we talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about a bit how the fact that God has blessed us in a variety of ways and that blessing is a tool that's meant to bless others in return. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus says about the tension between living righteous lives and being authentic and humble. We're going to dance in that tension. Jesus actually has a lot to say about this a lot to say about living this authentic faith. Uh, He addresses it actually right at the heart 
of his sermon, right in the middle of his sermon, Matthew 6, is almost entirely about living in this tension. And here we're going we're gonna to start that here. Uh, verse 1 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that seems pretty clear. Don't practice your faith in front of others. That seems pretty clear. But there's a, a verse in there, there's a, a part in that thing that I want to pay attention to. The to be seen by them. Remember that. So what does this look like in practice? Well, he goes on in verse 2, talking about generosity and giving. Verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you give to the church, when you give to charity, when you're generous with your time, your effort, your resources, are you doing it to gain respect? Are you doing it to gain favor, brownie points? Or are you honoring God with your sacrifice and loving others where they are? Remember, love, love is always a gift. It's always a gift. And a gift, by definition, has to be given without an expectation of return. Okay, if you give a gift expecting something in, back, in return, that's not a gift. That's called a, a commercial exchange. You're purchasing something, okay? If you give something expecting something back, you're purchasing it. If you're giving something without an expectation, that's a gift. Love is always a gift. It's sacrificial. And so if we're going to give, if we're going to be generous from a place of love and of joy, then we need to do it without the expectation of getting anything in return. So if you're giving gifts to earn respect or to get your way or to earn image points in the public eye, your gifts are not actually an act of joyful, loving worship, but rather an attempt at purchasing prestige by appearing generous. It's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. See, instead, Jesus is telling us to give from a place of joy and to be so authentically generous that it's simply a part of who we are. It's intrinsic to us. It's in our DNA. It's part of our identity. Being generous with our time, our blessing, our resources, it should be so ingrained in our identity that it becomes muscle memory. Right? If you've ever played on a, a, a team, you know muscle memory. You go to practice, you do your free throws over and over again so that when you get time to the, in the game, your muscles just understand it. You don't even have to think about it. You just make the shot. I did martial arts for years, and we had a saying in our, in our, uh, in our school. It's you cry on the mat so you laugh in the battlefield. The idea that you work yourself so hard in practice um, that when you get to a time when you actually need it, it's muscle memory and you don't even have to think about it. That's muscle memory. It's so ingrained in who you are that it's just part of your normal action. And we see that here. It's put another way when Jesus says it. Give so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. He's talking about muscle memory. He's talking about giving and being generous to such a degree that it's just part of you. It's just a normal outflowing of your spirit. 
This type of generosity completely dismantles this tension, this dichotomy that we talked about between authenticity and living righteously. Because do we need to be righteous in our generosity? Do we need to be radically generous? Yes. Do we also need to be absolutely authentic and never be fake or exaggerate our generosity? Yes. We don't need to find a comfortable place between the tension. Rather, we need to actually be generous people. We're supposed to be the generous people that God calls us to be. And we don't get any points for pretending. This type of thinking isn't just about generosity either. Let's continue in verse 5. Verse 5 talks about prayer. And he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you. Now remember, anytime you see Jesus say, Truly I tell you, he means, Yo, listen up. (laughs) Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And we're going to skip ahead here to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When read like this, you see the pattern, right? You see the pattern? See, often gospel writers and prophets and rabbis and teachers will teach in this way where they teach in kind of a pattern, a pattern of of words, so that it ultimately gives you a, a deeper truth behind the topic that they're talking about. So by repeating this pattern over and over again, you know it's not just about money. It's not just about um, fasting. It's not just about prayer. It's about something else entirely, something deeper that all three of those share. And it go, kind of goes like this. This is the Joshua Nink translation of that formula, okay? When you follow God, don't make it about you. You will not gain anything worthwhile if you do. Instead, actively follow God with your whole self, drawing attention away from yourself. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In other words, it's not about you. You see, when you look over that, it's not necessarily that giving loudly or having people notice that you give or having people notice that you worship is wrong. People are going to see that. Your life is on display. The key thing there, when you look, can you, can you pull up one of those sections of verses for me? Let's say uh, Matthew six sixteen. Oh, that one too, but I'm thinking before that. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but when you fast, put oil on your head. Uh, sorry, before that, one more. Do not look somber. Yeah, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show others that they are fasting. The important part there is to show others that they are fasting. And when you look at the other sections, it's like, do not give so that others can notice. It, it's all about that, that, that modifier right there, to show others that they are fasting. Because in that situation, the person fasting isn't fasting to worship Jesus. They're fasting to show others that they are fasting. That's the reason, the heart behind it. Their actions, the heart behind their actions is flawed. 
All right, you can go back to where we were. Sorry. It's not about you. See, as Jesus followers, our identities as children of God have already been secure. If you came out of the waters of baptism, if you follow Jesus, if you've made him your Lord, your identity as a child of God is already taken care of. You are loved by him. The God of creation, the God of the universe that knows every single thought inside your head, regardless of where you are, he loves you. What does it matter what anybody else thinks? What does it matter what anybody else thinks? No amount of clout, no amount of respect, financial stability, worldly power, or comfort will ever change the fact that you are already loved by God. You've already been given the greatest gift imaginable, and that's eternity with a loving Father. Adoption into the eternal family of God. Why make your life about chasing anything else? Who do you follow? Do you follow the course that God has laid out for you or do you follow these other things? Respect, honor, power, wealth. Let's take money for example. Not because this is a sermon about money, but simply because Jesus talks about money a lot and so we're going to talk about money a little bit. Use money as an example. Because in our culture, just like every culture in human history pretty much, wealth Financial security, financial comfort, these are common goals that can often drive us away from Jesus for a season, right? I'm not saying that money's evil. I'm not saying that being wealthy is evil. That is not true. Being wealthy is not evil. Money is not evil. It's the love of money, the the obsession with money, the making money the goal of your life. That is problematic, But it's not just me. Jesus says this too. Actually, we go ahead here. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Sorry, try that again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, if you make your life about gaining wealth, or gaining power, or gaining respect, or gaining love, or gaining people to like you, whatever, if you make your life about that, you might gain that. You might just succeed. Great. But all that stuff goes away when you die. <laughs> You can't bring your toys with you. You can't bring your Facebook followers with you. You can't bring your TikTok followers with you. It doesn't work like that. We have limited time in this life. Do you want to spend it chasing after things that fade away? Or do you want to chase after something that has eternal ramifications, eternal effects? Matthew uh, 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. Okay? No one can devote themselves both to God and to the gaining of wealth. No one can devote themselves both to God and to the gaining of power. 
These are life goals that distract us from the ultimate goal of being a follower of Jesus and reflecting his good grace. So what masters are we serving? You gotta ask that question. What masters are we serving in our lives? Are we doing things to gain respect? Do you, do you desperately want wealth? Do you desperately want respect? Respect is, by the way, that's my, my sin. That's my big thing. Um, just confession time. I'm a guy who always desperately wants respect. My big sin that I struggle with is pride. I want to be known as the smartest guy in the room. That's something I fight with all the time. Um, I find myself falling down that hole all the time, being lost and trying to gain respect and gain, gain care from people and gain, gain love from people that way. And it's a constant check that I have to make to make sure that my motivations are not based on this idea of gaining respect, but rather what Jesus is calling me to. Is it power? Is that a goal in your life, to be able to, to hold on to control, give yourself comfort? Do you just want to make sure that you're liked by other people? Look, I get it. Not all of these are nefarious. It's not like if you're chasing one of these things that you're like some mustache-twirling villain who has an evil laugh and all that kind of stuff. What we're talking about is these goals that, that you might even follow for the right reasons. You might even uh, follow, do the right thing for the wrong reasons. They're, they're goals that distract us from ultimately what God is calling us toward. I get it. And I know it's not always nefarious. You're not always a bad guy if you want people to like you. It's just, you just you're, you're human. We want to be able to have some semblance of control, some semblance of wealth, some semblance of power. But these cannot be the goals of our life because if we use faith, if we use worship, if we use generosity as ways to get ahead in respect, in honor, in wealth. Yeah, your gifts might, might help someone who's in need, but your heart is not where God wants you to be. See, Jesus doesn't, just want, uh, Jesus doesn't just want us to act generous. He wants us to be generous people. He doesn't want us to act faithful. He wants us to be faithful. He doesn't want us to act like we love him. He wants us to actually love him. Simply going through the motions isn't enough. Going to church, giving money, even praying isn't enough. The Christian life is not a checklist that you can just go, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that, I'm good. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Or going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. All right? Going to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's just one more task that you're ticking off. We're talking about a heart change. So what? So do we just stop praying? Do we just stop worshiping? Do we just stop being generous because we don't feel it on the day? Absolutely not. We need to be authentic. Absolutely. But like most of his teachings, what Jesus is saying here is examine your heart. Examine why you're doing what you're doing. If you examine your actions and you find that you are merely acting instead of being a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying to be honest with that and to bring it to him. 
Because then, when we begin to admit our shortcomings, we admit our failings, we admit the times that we fall short of what God has in store for us, then we can begin the process of healing. We can begin the process of building and truly be able to understand and accept the joy and the freedom that he offers us in this identity as a child of God. The freedom of, of accepting this identity, the freedom of that, is that you don't have to worry about any of those fleeting feelings. God's got you. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You don't have to worry about respect. You don't have to worry about clout because God loves you. Who cares? If, he can, if he's for me, who could be against me? This frees us up to be not less generous, but radically generous because it's not about me. This frees us up to worship with reckless abandon. We can love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul because we don't care what we look like. We can dance for an audience of one. This frees us up to be the salt and the light of the world, not because we're told to do those things, but simply because the joy and the peace and the grace and the identity that God has given you through that forgiveness through the cross is so life-giving and so fulfilling that it pours out of your life into the world around you. We become salt and light, not because we're told to be, but because that's who we are when we are changed by Jesus. We want to be a radically generous people. We want to be a radically faithful people, but that doesn't mean ticking off the box and acting like it. It means actually being that way. We need to be the authentic body of Christ, unified in purpose and love. But that means we actually have to be unified in purpose and love and actually have to be these things that God has called us to. And often that means a heart change, allowing God to work within us, to pull us away from merely being defined by our actions and instead defined by the identity that God gives us as his child. And let that joy and let that freedom pour out from you into the rest of the world because that kind of life changes the world. That kind of life changes the world. When you see a people that are radically generous from the, uh, the position of, of life change, from the position of love that God has given them, the position of joy, that cuts through any barrier. That cuts through every belief, that cuts through every difference that may be out there. A people united in this idea that we are changed fundamentally because of what Jesus has done, that changes the world. It breaks through every division. It crashes through every single wall. Right now, we need that. In our country, we need that. In our neighborhoods, we need that. But the way that happens is we have to authentically embrace that heart change. Let us be on the authentic body of Christ, unified in purpose, unified in love. Let's actually be the people that we want the world to think we are. What's that statement? You wanna, I want to be the person that my dog thinks I am? We want to be those people 
It's not acting good, it's being good. There's a, a pastor in Omaha that I absolutely love. He's a great guy. His name is uh, Ron Dotzler. He's one of the lead pastors for the Abide Church um, and uh, the Abide Network. And uh, he has this saying that just blew my mind the first time I heard it. Uh, I'm going to share it with you, so I don't take credit for it. But he says, Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad little boys good. Jesus came in the world to bring the dead to life. It's not about correcting people's actions. It's not about making sure your actions are correct. It's about changing us at a heart level and allowing the world to be changed at a heart level through us. Jesus came to bring people back to, back to life, to redeem people at their heart, at their soul, at their identity, and we are called to live out that mission in this world not by acting generous, but by being generous. That's what Jesus is saying in this section. He's calling us to a heart change. So the way we live in this tension is that there is no tension. Be an authentic follower of Jesus. Allow him to change your heart, and you will be the generous. You will be the faithful. You will be the worshipful human being that God has called you to be. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we confess that sometimes we make it about us. We have our own agendas. Sometimes those agendas sneak in and we don't even realize it. We get wrapped up in making sure that we gain respect, gain followers, gain wealth, gain prestige, gain power. But in reality, the only thing we need to gain is you. And you've already given yourself to us. There's nothing more we could possibly gain to top that. So we confess that our agendas sometimes get in the way. We ask forgiveness for that. And instead, God, I pray that you give us the, the ability today to move forward from this space, being your people united in purpose and in love and in grace, to be authentically your people, so that we can be the generous people we're called to be, so that we can be the faithful people that we're called to be. Not just act like it, but actually be it. And God, through us, we pray that you change the world. Through us through that love, through that grace. Bring us back to the heart of what it means to be your follower. Bring us back to the heart of what it means to have a complete identity shift into a child of God. Bring us back to what it means to be your follower. To be your follower. Not simply to act like your follower. God, you are good. Even in the midst of this crazy week, you are good. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.